0: You're listening to another episode of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for birds on the black. I'm Sarah. He's Alex. And what do Jordan Hicks and Chirps have in common? They've both reached 100. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the 100th episode of Chirps. Yes, somehow, over the course of a couple of off seasons and a very weird regular season, we've made it to episode 100. And Alex, that is a thing that seems significant in terms of how long we've been doing this, but also... It's cool that people have been listening for 100 episodes. So, first of all, I want to thank our loyal listeners for uh, keeping us from just talking to ourselves every week.
1: <laughs> it's, it's very cool. Yeah, thank, thank you to everyone who listens and likes the show. And when I thought about the fact that we've done 100 episodes, it dawned on me that we plowed through last year Every week during the during the shutdown, while baseball was not happening, somehow we thought it was a good idea to still have a show every week, <laughs> and somehow we did it. And I think they were still somehow, some way, sort of entertaining. So, yeah, I'm 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 proud of 100 episodes. That's a that's a good job by us, I would say.
0: And I believe we actually started this show in the off season a couple of years ago. So not only did we come up with something to say every week during the pandemic pause but we also started the show without actual baseball to talk about so i don't know if that's like should we pat ourselves on the back or just recognize our own insanity but either way we made it this far and we are very close to having more real baseball to talk about and right now we have spring training to talk about which as per usual, is only as interesting as the storylines that follow it. Alex, this spring has been most notably highlighted by poor pitching performances, I think, as far as the Cardinals are concerned. But when you look beyond that uh we are getting to that point of the spring i think where you hope to see some improvement right some better at bats some better starts from the guys who should be in the rotation some clarity on guys like miles myklis and if they're going to be able to pitch at all or at least be ready for the opening of the season Do you feel like you want to get some answers this week or maybe early next week? Or are you totally comfortable just letting go of every serious element of analysis of the spring and holding that till the the season actually starts?
1: Well, when spring training first starts, no matter what happens, whether a guy hits like five home runs in a game and like the exit velocity is crazy off the charts or a guy just looks terrible. It's, it's often, it's more often the latter, obviously I, and I think anyone who follows baseball just brushes it off as this is just spring training. Who cares? This does not matter, especially during the first week of March or the first week of spring training. When we get to the point where we are now, as you just alluded to, then it starts—at least for me—it shifts a little bit. I still say this is just spring training; it doesn't matter. But in the back of my head, I'm thinking maybe it does. <laughs> so I, anytime someone doesn't look good, whether it's uh, you know I heard I, you know KK's velocity was down a little bit, right? Although I heard it kind of rebounded a little bit in his last start. Uh, Carlos had some shaky innings although he's apparently looking decent through one today. Uh yeah, I I just kind of bury my head in the sand and say it doesn't matter. This is just spring training. We don't know quite what they're working on and stuff like that. And and uh friend of the podcast guest of the podcast Ben Godar kind of had a tweet like about this the other day which is that like uh you know, when someone complains about poor performance, I scream out and I, I am, I'm not doing this tweet justice. So I'm trying to paraphrase it best I can. But he's basically said, I just scream out, it's spring training. It doesn't matter. And then I go in the shower and sob silently <laughs> or you know, something like that. I, I kind of take that approach as well, which is that a guy could be awful who we don't want to be awful up to the very last moment of spring training. And there's still a part of me that would be like, yeah, it's just spring training. It doesn't matter. Maybe maybe once real baseball begins, it'll all work out. So that's where I am. I don't know if that's the most intelligent place to be, but that's kind of how I see it. And real quick on this, right before we started recording, I got online and saw a few tweets about Miles Michaelis. Is he officially on the IL or are we just assuming that's where he's about to be?
0: I have not seen anything official, but I think the the thing that I keep referring to is the time, (laughs) the time that he's not going to have. Uh, It looks like Michael Gersh has confirmed that there's no structural issues, uh, but the problem is with how much time there is left before breaking camp for opening day now keep in mind that doesn't mean he has to be ready to go on opening day right that first week that first turn through the rotation tends to take a little while with the off Mm -hmm. days and such but the the schedule basically there can't be any additional setbacks is how I, I would imagine that needs to go for him so I think looking at what hasn't happened with miles michaelis which is anything (laughs) anything valuable um there's concern about the timeline in getting him to where he needs to be because if he still can't go for his second time which he was pushed back another time uh they keep saying you know don't worry, it's fine, but there's there's just not enough time to build up those pitches, to build up to the innings, where you would mm-hmm. expect a starter to be, even if he comes out of spring as kind of that fifth starter, at least in pitching order. So that's sort of my understanding of the Miles michaels situation, but it does seem to be more and more precarious <laughs> the longer we go in the spring without seeing him. Okay. I will say, though, to what you noted about kind of where we're at in the spring, I tend to take more the side of it matters, but not really. (laughs) It matters in the sense of, are guys getting good work in? Are they working on something specific? Are they accomplishing what they needed to in the spring, which we don't always know from the outside looking in, right? But it doesn't matter in terms of the specifics of the stat line for most players. I will say those who are trying to make an impression to make the team out of the spring or to kind of claim one of those available spots, it, it matters more for them. It matters maybe differently on an individual basis than the team results as a whole and those stat lines. I'm wondering though, how much this spring matters, not in terms of does he have a spot on the team, because we all know he does, but in terms of building or eroding confidence (laughs) in someone like Matt Carpenter, who I believe is still hitless this spring, which is not a great sign for someone who came into the spring saying, yeah, this is a great position for me to be in because I'm te- I'm generally at my best when I have to earn my spot, when I have to prove myself, when I have to do something that people are telling me I can't do, which is, you know, to earn a, a consistent role with this team right now. He's gotten a lot of opportunities, he hasn't had the results. And for someone trying to climb out of the hole that they've been in the last couple of seasons, I feel like that matters more for Matt Carpenter than it does for maybe some of those other regulars who don't have sparkling stat lines at this point just because his his spot on the roster is secure I think but what his impact can be is very much still up in the air.
1: Yes, and you know, two seasons ago he could have gone hitless in spring training. Hitless shoot uh, halfway through April, and we still would not have cared. A lot of us would not have cared because yeah. we know how he is, and we just would have assumed, um, oh, he's like reinventing himself again, and it's all going to click soon, and you know he's going to start being this productive player. I don't think he has that sort of grace period with with the fans um, anymore and largely because of last season and, and, and a lot of 2019. So it's certainly disappointing. And and like you said, that's one guy where you would really want, where you really would like kind of look to see what he's doing in spring, Uh, specifically like how hard is he hitting the ball? Is he even hitting the ball? Um, Is he, is he even, is he even catching up with fastballs? (laughs) Things like that. Uh, so yeah, it's tough. And you know, last week when we were talking, he was playing second base, which brought back memories of my favorite version of Matt Carpenter, mm-hmm. probably everyone's favorite version of Matt Carpenter because that was probably his best season, but 2013 when he was a second baseman and hit like 55 doubles and was just this incredible uh just this incredible player with you know virtually, I shouldn't say no power, but he was not considered a home run threat back then. And he was not considered a guy who was going to uh, walk all the time either. And then a couple of years later, he became both of those guys. So my point is, we've always had a lot of patience with Matt Carpenter just because we don't know what we might... We We always trusted him to rebound and reinvent himself in some way. And I don't think we necessarily feel that way anymore.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think... What's hard for Matt Carpenter at this point in his career, I would imagine, and I'm sort of projecting, what I think would be difficult if I was in his shoes is the unknown of kind of why he can't get back to where he was and whether it's something mechanically that he can fix, if it's something mentally that he can shift, or if it's just the reality of age and wear and tear and the fact that there are other guys coming up behind him that have a higher peak right now compared to his peak at this point in his career man I I just that's got to be the most frustrating thing as an athlete who has been at that high point where you're kind of the the offensive juggernaut (laughs) for this team and now you are having trouble breaking the lineup on any given day and Maybe the game has changed around him, right? We, we've talked a lot about Matt Carpenter and the shift and how that has damaged kind of what his calling card was in those really successful years. But it's, it's hard to watch someone who has adapted at every phase of, of his career. When someone told him he couldn't, he learned how to do it anyway. It's hard to see him not be able to adapt to something like the shift in the same way that he adapted to learning how to play second base when he didn't. Really naturally have the the athleticism and the footwork that you would anticipate making someone into an all star caliber second baseman. Now, granted, he became an all, he was an all star that year because of his offense, not because of his defense at second base. But it didn't hurt him in that campaign. So
1: he he got to be certainly wasn't Jose Martinez at first base. Right. Like no, no one was saying we have to get him out of there.
0: Correct. He was not a he was not a liability <laughs> at second base like we've seen other positions uh you know guys be at other positions and in some ways I, I think some people would have said that about him at third base in a couple of seasons after the shoulder issue caused him to not really have a whole lot on the throw from third to first but at second base he was he was more than serviceable he wasn't Colton Wong but you're right he wasn't he wasn't Jose Martinez uh at first when you're, you're talking about his defensive ability so It's hard. It's hard to watch that. It's hard to see Cardinals fans stop giving him credit for everything that he has been to this team. But I can't imagine anything harder than being that athlete that can't figure out what went wrong or how to fix it, or kind of that nagging thought in the back of your head of, is it ever going to be better again? Or is this Just it. We've heard some of that from Adam Wainwright in the last couple of years. And I heard him talking to MLB Network again today, in fact, saying essentially, I wasn't sure how to change my profile as an athlete to adapt to what I was capable of, instead of trying to be what everyone else was, trying to throw 98 to 100. And he said, essentially, he was able to get back to a level of success, even at 39 years old, when he kind of just gave in to the idea of he was at his best when he was doing what he was good at, not what everyone else was good at. I don't know if there's any sort of Overlap or comparison um, parallel to what Matt Carpenter needs to do kind of from that mental standpoint? Or if this is just, look, it wouldn't be the first time that we saw someone have a pretty sharp decline and spend a lot of years trying to get back to their peak of success and not ever being able to get there. I certainly hope that's not the case with Matt Carpenter, but as it relates to this spring, not a lot of positive results and again, we don't know exactly what he's working on at the plate. Sometimes they like intentionally don't swing at certain pitches to try to retrain, you know, all those sorts of things. But going 0 for whatever it is this spring cannot be part of the plan. Yeah,
1: it, yeah. like regardless, like imagine anything you want in your head that they're working on. It can be anything you want it to be in no way is not getting a single hit during the spring, like part of that plan. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like now it might mean it's not the biggest of deals because of whatever that plan is. And sometimes I think we put too much on, on that whole idea anyway, like as if they're, they're tinker they're always tinkering with something during this with spring and trying to fix some like mechanical issue. And then when the season starts, they're going to like start playing normal baseball. Like I, I feel as though, we give that a little too much weight and what we're seeing right now is kind of what we're going to see um to some extent when actual baseball starts. But yeah, <laughs> there's no, there's no real plan. There's, there's nothing you could possibly be working on where, oh, for 19 is like, okay, yeah. Like, like job well done there. We, we, you know, <laughs> We're, we're we're getting the job done, <laughs> you know, we're, we're yeah. doing what we want to do. And, uh, and we're, the results are speaking, you know, for themselves. Like, so it's disappointing. And it's also, I mentioned last week, it's so weird that it feels like he's had a whole career with the Cardinals by now. Um, and maybe it's just because his age and stuff like that, you know, he's, he's what, 35 or 30, was he 35? Is this his age 35 so. season? That sounds about right. I um, mean, you know, he got a bit later start than usual. But it feels as though he's had a whole career with the Cardinals. Like his he's had a natural progression of a career where he I mean he kind of shot out of nowhere. But then, you know, we've we've watched his decline. And I mentioned last week, I feel as though like he's been with the team like almost about the same amount of time as Carlos Martinez, which is not totally true, but I both think of them like when I first Like had my first images of them both come from 2013, the 2013 season. And Carlos Martinez's career does not feel that way. And again, that could be because he's so much younger, but it feels as though he has more of an incomplete career with the Cardinals than, than does Matt Carpenter.
0: Yeah, I think there may be something to the idea of still some of that untapped potential with Carlos Martinez as great as he was for a couple of seasons consecutively it was almost like that got cut short because of the injury and then there's been this weird (laughs) roller coaster of roles and expectations and physical limitations and all those things i think we saw the not only the living up to the potential of Matt Carpenter, but maybe even exceeding it to some extent, because he wasn't necessarily that high expectation, super high ceiling guy that everyone saw coming, that it was like the Dylan Carlson where you just got to find him a spot. And so I think he exceeded a little bit of that, which was great to watch, sort of that natural progression from guy that could be a role player to guy that could lead an offense. And you're right now, kind of the, the progression down the other side of that curve a little bit more for Matt Carpenter than the satisfactory curve of a, <laughs> a Carlos Martinez career at this point, one person who may not ever age and may not ever come down off that other side of the curve has to be, The one and only Yadier Molina. And look, every year we go into a season talking about, man, he's going to have to take a step back. He just doesn't have it offensively. He's not going to be able to play every game. And all of those things may be all well and good. And those are conversations we can continue to have. But then he does something that reminds us all why Yadier Molina continues to play this game wow people surprise people (laughs) and uh you know show a a rookie or two here and there along the way that um there's a reason he's the legend that he is I'm assuming by now you've all seen the Yadi or Molina uh moment I don't know it was a whole sequence between him and uh prospect the other day that was attempting to steal. Yadier Molina tried to do the whole back pick at first base thing that he and Albert Pujols were so good at, and instead, the the, the rookie Siri uh, got a little got a little overconfident, perhaps, and tried to uh, do the the you know finger wag yeah. and the head shake, which I mean. I know that rookies tend to come in with a little extra bravado, but you gotta know that's never a good idea. Yadi or Molina or other veteran. And of course Yadi proceeded to sort of tell him, go ahead, go ahead, steal, try it. I dare you with a, with a simple head nod. And then he threw him out by like 12 feet. It was incredible on a changeup, no less. Um, Alex that is the kind of thing that happens in the spring that doesn't by the end of the year there's always some play in spring training. I remember a Colton Wong play last year in spring I think before everything got yeah, shut down yeah. and we were like
1: I remember exactly I, the play yeah.
0: I can't believe that's not going to count for anything, right? So there's always a play in the spring where you're like what just happened. And this with Molina this week was as impressive as it was entertaining from that sort of back and forth uh, veteran versus rookie Yadier Molina saying.
1: Yes. So credit to the people who caught this, and especially that John Belay account who, who broke down everything that happened so well. <laughs> uh, and that, that account became popular a couple of years ago. And I, I yeah. never really followed it much, um, even though I, I knew what it was about, but you know, you ever feel like you just have too many things in your life and you just don't have room yes. for another thing. Like, so I've kind of felt that way about that account. Like I, I enjoyed it whenever I saw it, but I was just like, I just, I, I, I don't have room for you. So, sorry. So, so I've always only paid attention to like the Cardinals ones. Like there was that great one last year when again featuring Yadier Molina when he predicted Fowler's home run before Fowler hit the home run you know what I'm talking about when he put his arms in the air and then yeah. it came mm-hmm. and Fowler launched it to the right but yeah so a few things i really loved about this and mostly is it's because of Yadier Molina's personality but the the uh his Yadi's eyes um it made me think of and, and this might sound weird, but in 2011, Game 5, NLDS against the Phillies, uh, that wonderful, wonderful, crazy game, memorable game, the Carpenter-Roy Holiday game, there was a moment late in the game, Cardinals obviously up 1-0 because, you know, we scored that one run very quick and then that became the final score, <laughs> where the Cardinals struck someone out and the pitch got away from Yachty and then the pit, the throw to first because, you know, the the runner ran to first, got away and the runner, you know, made it to first. And, it, and at the time, in a normal game, whatever, big deal. But at the time, clinging to a one-run lead against the best team in baseball, a total juggernaut, it seemed like a really big deal. And I remember thinking, like, if this were all goes to hell, that will be such a shame because those always seem like the flukiest of plays. And I remember Yachty just before he put his helmet back on, just staring down at first base (laughs) of just like, um, almost menacingly, but almost, but more so like, it's okay. I'm going to keep my eye on this guy. We still have this. Like I'm not at all worried. In fact, I'm very focused right now and it's going to be okay. And it was okay. And This obviously is a very different situation. We're talking game five NLDS versus a meaningless spring training game, a a meaningless moment in the game, possibly against a player that we might never hear from again. I don't know anything (laughs) about this prospect where he rates, um, you know, so who knows? Um, But I always love watching Yachty's eyes when he's playing. And after the guy gave him the sort of Matumbo finger wave, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and Yadi just kind of saying, okay, you know, go ahead, take the base. That was the other thing I really love about Yadier Molina, which is he loves playing baseball. Yeah. It doesn't matter what the setting is, no matter what time of year it is. He just loves playing baseball. And I think we have to really respect and appreciate that. You know, you think about when he would always play in the World Baseball Classic, mm-hmm. uh, most recently – the the year that I think really comes to mind I don't, was it was it when they were in San Diego when you know he was doing the, and I'm thinking no more recently like with the Javier Baez like yeah. what a tandem yeah. they were almost in a way that I was like gosh could we could we you know I love you Colton Wong but man <laughs> seeing, seeing Baez and Yadi on this same team the way they worked together so well was just such a joy to watch in a baseball event that I wasn't even interested in until I started mm-hmm. watching it because. His like passion just kind of like draws you in. Yeah. Um, and it reminds me of something like, and I tweeted this about a month ago, I guess, when they, whenever it was that they re-signed Yachty, whenever that was. And I, it made me think about Ricky Henderson because when Ricky Henderson was getting late in his career and when I mean late in his career, I'm talking like mid forties and he was still bouncing around from club to club Uh, You know, I think he, at one point he was on like his fourth go around with the Yeas. And then he was playing indie ball for a while. Like he basically wanted to play baseball for the rest of his life. And I remember him being interviewed and he said, my dream is to play baseball. My dream is to play professional baseball. And that's usually something we associate with like a minor leaguer who's 20 years old or someone who's in high school, not something we associate with a veteran, a hall of famer at that someone Mm -hmm. who has nothing left to prove in the game, but Ricky Henderson. And, you know, maybe he was exaggerating. Maybe he was just being dramatic because Ricky, no one could give quotes quite like Ricky Henderson. He was the master at it, but I believed him. I believed, you know, here's this guy who is in his forties has nothing left to give to this game, but it's still his dream to play professional baseball Every day. And I feel as though Yadier Molina like that. I think yeah. he's excited to play baseball as he was when he was coming up in 2004. And gosh, it's, it's... I mean, you know, we joke about it. But it really is going to be true. Eventually, I swear, it's going to be true. Someday, he won't be on the team anymore. Yeah. And that that's probably will be sooner... Rather than later, even though again it seems impossible, and we need to remember to just really appreciate his time here because it has been such a joy to watch. That one silly little play uh, with uh, with the guy at first base, you know, a couple days ago, just sums up everything we love about him. And to me, it just—I don't know—I it it. You know, I'm, I've been talking too long, so I want I want to get you, your thoughts on this. But it really, it, it's, it's the most I've been excited about something to happen in spring training, possibly ever.
0: Well, it's probably because you're paying attention to spring training <laughs> for like the first time ever. So maybe there's something to that. But no, you're right. The things that Yachty does like that. Are it's the little game within the game kind of moments, right? And he used to do that with Albert Pujols all the time. You've seen him and Adam Wainwright do that in, in a different way in terms of a pitch call that you go, Whoa, I can't believe that's what they went with and it worked. Or, you know, those moments where I re- I'll never forget. I think that the first might have, I don't remember if it was the first season at the major league level for carlos martinez or the second i think it was his first year as a starter there was a moment in a game that could have gotten out of control and there was this conversation on the mound between yadi and carlos martinez that like was maybe the most animated mound conversation i have ever seen and carlos martinez never said a word (laughs) (laughs) and then it was like uh you flipped a switch and all of a sudden carlos martinez was exactly who he needed to be because that's that's the way that Yadier Molina, like very few people can, can change the entire dynamic of a game with that one singular moment, right? Whether it's a back pick at first or remember a couple of years ago, uh, Yadier Molina, you know, throwing guys out at third base when they were caught wandering or whatever it is, those little moments. And to see something like this in the spring reminds me, like you mentioned, of the World Baseball Classic version of Yadier Molina that I wish we got to see more of. I, I don't know if it's because... That emotion is not so prevalent in kind of the Cardinals organization from top to bottom, or if there's just hasn't been that kind of excitement factor for the Cardinals in individual games in a while. We see it every once in a while, but I always love that version of Yadier Molina more than anything. Yes. I
1: I think a lot of it has to do with how much pride he has in playing for Puerto Rico. Of course. Yeah, Yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's why I would love, you know, we've talked about this before, all these opportunities for major league baseball to play outside of the U S or, you know, at least outside of locations where they, they typically play. I would love to see, the Cardinals play in Puerto Rico because of what it would do to elevate that intensity and that, that passion for the game and mm-hmm. for putting on a show for Yadier Molina. But you're right. That moment in this last week reminded me of that. And it's my favorite version of or Molina. I think it's what allows him, whatever that is, right. Whatever that thing is where you see it in his face, you see it in his eyes and you're like, Oh, you shouldn't have done that. Um, That's what makes, takes his game to a whole different level. And it's things like that that aren't always quantifiable, but they're what eliminate any doubt for me. Hold on. My dog's freaking out.
1: I was wondering what that was.
0: Hey, what's your problem? (laughs) Yeah, it's that kind of thing for me that elevates his game to a whole different level and makes the conversation about is he a Hall of Famer or not seemingly kind of silly when you look at the, the overall sort of, Oh, no, nope, the dog's still in the yard.
1: <laughs> let, let's let, let's let, let us let us fly. Let's let it go. Yeah. We can take the dog.
0: When you, when you let, um, unless it's a
1: big when, problem on your end. No, it's okay. fine. Uh,
0: so when you look at the overall package of what Yadier Molina has done for baseball and, and for the game and how he can, change that dynamic with just the tiniest little moments. It's uh, it's so much fun to watch, and I feel so grateful every time we get to see something like that because, well, it's uh, sort of because of what we were just talking about with Matt Carpenter and sometimes the tendency for that downward spiral to be rather dramatic. <laughs> Meanwhile, Yadier Molina's over here just proving to everyone why he continues to stay in the game.
1: Uh-huh, and I also feel as though you know five years ago yadi's hall of fame the hall of fame debate around yadi was way more polarized it, it seemed like cardinal people like us we were convinced he was a hall of famer um and everyone outside of the cardinals world thought like that was the most extreme example of us being like the hashtag bfib i'm so glad we don't have to put up with that as much as we used to. God, those I
0: agree. obnoxious
1: <laughs> times. Um, but I think the last couple of years has really, um, opened the eyes. I don't say open, open their eyes, but has really convinced a lot of people who were on the other side five years ago that this is a hall of famer. It seems now the only holdouts are kind of like the most extreme kind of, uh, people who really hold jaws as the absolute gospel of the hall of fame. Um, jaws numbers, the J Jaffe metric, uh, that seemed to kind of still cast a little doubt on his candidacy, although they still appreciate what he means and plays very much. And uh, there's a lot of so many stats you can point to. Um, Some are quantifiable, some aren't. Uh, You sent this tweet to me earlier today, and it's something that I've written about before. It's something Craig Edwards at Fangrass has written. Well, when Craig was at Fangrass, wrote about, I believe, last year or the year before that, but just like Yachty's effect that doesn't show up in any sort of stats is the fact that no one basically tries to steal on the Cardinals anymore. Uh, So even when Yachty isn't throwing out a ton of base runners, it's because no one is trying to steal on him anymore. And it's been (laughs) like that, you know, that effect has really, it is really obvious from basically the last 10 years or so. And even so, he still leads all active players, as as you showed me in that tweet, of runners he has thrown out by a mile. It's not even close. Yeah. And, and that's mm-hmm. with no one even trying to steal on him anymore. And, and that, I mean, obviously speaks a lot to his longevity. It, it speaks to the fact that most catchers at his age either have retired or are not really playing catcher anymore. And if they are playing catcher, they certainly aren't. Doing it as much as he is, you know, for a guy who would probably play 155 games, you know, a year if he had his say. So he, he's just a special player.
0: He is. And it's been so great in the last couple of years to kind of realize just how special that is. And I know we've said the same things about Adam Wainwright. Uh, I'll throw this out there. We don't have to talk about it this week, but maybe we'll get some responses from people heading into our conversation next week. Because I I mentioned before we started recording uh, and you did answer this question in uh, the birds on the black group chat, but I wonder how people perceive kind of those, those baseball duos, Right. The better, I think I said, the better baseball bromance. Is it Yadier Molina and Albert Pujols or Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright? And the reason that I mentioned that is because early on, that Molina Pujols thing was so unique and so special and so. Close, but then you have the longevity of the the time spent with Waino and Yadi, and I, that came up this week because Albert Pujols has said some things about uh, Yadi or Molina and how he's the best in the game and and hopes to maybe go into the Hall of Fame with him and all those sorts of things. So, uh, to end the Yadi or Molina note, I will ask you, our listeners, what is the better duo or bromance or however you want to term that that relationship, Yadi or Molina and Adam Wainwright or Yadi or Molina and Albert Pujols. We'll talk more about that perhaps next week if people have thoughts and opinions, but Alex, we can't wrap up our 100th episode without a trip of the week.
1: That's right. But first I want to say if Yadier Molina and Albert Pujols go into the hall of fame together by hell or high water, I will be in Cooperstown. <laughs> I, I, I'm not someone who has to take road trips to see like things, but I will have to be there for that. That yeah. would be so incredible uh gosh i would like to see that happen although does that mean i want yachty to retire after this year i mean you know we're assuming yeah well we can figure out those logistics later um before i get to the trip of the week first i want to say something really quick about real cormier who uh died Mm. yesterday i think it was yesterday um And, uh, you know, too young, uh, cancer, but he, he pitched in the majors, debuted in 1991 and pitched for 16 seasons, uh, never made an all-star game, never got a single MVP vote, but I don't care who you are. If you played in this league for 16 years, you are an elite player and he had a great career, a career that began with the Cardinals and I'm bringing him up because if memory serves and, you know, I don't do a lot of things great, but I have a great memory. I remember his debut. I remember watching his debut in 1991 on Fox 55 uh, out of Springfield, Illinois. Uh, they would uh, broadcast about one Cardinals game a week. And I remember Cormier um, and the announcers. Uh, I remember Herbosky talking about, you know, this is, this is the new fireballer. Let's see how he looks, you know, things like that. And, you know, he... He was spent time with several clubs, uh, most notably with the Phillies, but he spent his first couple seasons in the bigs with the cardinals and so rest in peace to him and We will now get on to the chirp of the week, as we said at the top of the show. it is the one hundredth episode of this show. hundred is always a fun number with baseball uh you know whether it's stats you know if if you win one hundred games, that means you are an awesome team. It seems. It seems like, you know, it it seems so much more special than winning like 98 games, even though if you win 98 games, you're also an awesome team. There's something about being able to uh, win 100 games that says like, this is a truly, truly special baseball team. Nine Cardinals teams have won at least 100 games um, throughout this franchise's history. That happened in 1931, 1942, 1943, 1944, 1967, 85. 2004, 2005, and of course, most recently in 2015. Uh, The number 100 is also just fun with stats. Like you know, I know we don't care about RBIs anymore, or for the most part, we don't care about RBIs anymore. But if you collected baseball cards when I did, and you stared at the back of baseball cards, if a guy hit had 100 RBIs in a season, that was good. Um, At least on some level, it was good. In reality it might not actually have been you know there have been plenty of guys who've had 100 rbis in a season and actually didn't have that great of a season uh i think joe carter is the like the primary example of a, a player who i thought was wonderful uh because he would always uh you know pile up all these rbis and then you look at his wins above replacement and you're like wait this is joe carter this is the guy who i thought was like one of the best players in baseball um strictly because of you know the back of his baseball cards but it's still a very fun number uh, when it comes to RBIs and same with runs. It seems like one of those numbers where if you get on the other side of 100, that means you had a very good season. And I wanted to look at 100 runs and 100 RBIs in a season for Cardinals, but in kind of a special way, because, you know, certainly there've been tons of Cardinals who had seasons where they've had at least hundred runs or hundred RBIs. So instead Starting with at least 100 runs in a season, I wanted to look at baseball players who've had at least 100 runs in a season, but did it without hitting a single home run. Okay. And, and there's a reason why I did this because I know right off the bat who one of them is. <laughs> and it's one of my favorite seasons of all time. But I wanted to see where this particular season ranks, kind of in the annals of baseball history. And I started that history at 1947 because that's when baseball at least attempted to kind of integrate the league. And so starting at 1947 and using Stathead baseball reference, three players since that time have had at least 100 runs in a season while hitting zero home runs. Johnny Pesky in 1947, he hit zero home runs. I think that's assumed by now, but it um, had 106 runs. Uh, Billy Goodman in 1955, also for Boston, 100 runs scored and exactly zero home runs hit. And then most recently, Ozzie Smith, this is the only other one, in 1987, hit zero home runs but still came around to score 104 times. And I think the fact that there's only been three of them since, since 1947 shows how hard that is, how rare that is to be able to cross home plate that many times without being able to re- necessarily do it for free, without necessarily being <laughs> able to just jog around the bases uh, because mm-hmm. you hit one out of the park. So I've always loved that stat, that season from Ozzie Smith. And the second one, you know, I mentioned RBIs. So this one I looked at uh, players who have hit uh, uh, zero home runs and uh, had at least 100 RBIs. Well, since 1947, there haven't been any. Uh, zero. So I bumped it up to to 10 home runs as the max. So 10 home runs or less, basically. And there were seven of them. And most recently, well, not most recently, but most notably, our friend Tommy Herr, which, you know, anyone who follows the Cardinals knows about this season. In 1985, Tommy Herr hit eight home runs and drove in 110 RBIs. (laughs) Which, uh, you know, says a lot about the other players who are getting in front of Tommy Hur, But still, you know, he had to do something, you know. Believe me, if I'm on that team, and I'm, you put me right where Tommy Hur is, I'm not getting 110 RBIs. You know, he still has to make contact with the ball, has to put it in place somehow, usually, you know. So, yeah. big, big ups there to Tommy Herr. Uh And he's, he's the uh, one cardinal example there. No, he's, this, he's the second cardinal example there, there. The other one is Eno Slaughter, who in 1950... Mm-hmm. 10 home runs with 101 RBIs. Leading the pack would be Paul Malter, who in 1996 for the Twins hit nine home runs, but drove in 113. And that is your trip of the week. Some fun with the number 100 for our 100th episode. And I don't know, 200 doesn't quite, uh, trying to think what stats, I guess, uh, 200 strikeouts, 200 wins. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. When we get to the 200th episode, we'll we'll find out, but... we'll We'll figure out something for for
0: 200 but for now we're gonna celebrate the 100th episode with all of you and uh, we'd love to know what you are looking forward to in the next 100 episodes or maybe the next week because (laughs) no one can plan that far in advance right now we've learned that at least in the last year so thank you for that alex thank you for all of you for listening and i hope that you enjoy the rest of what has been a beautiful week if it's not beautiful where you are my regrets (laughs) but i'm gonna go enjoy a little bit of sunshine and maybe actually watch a little bit of spring training baseball this week so that'll do it for alex and i this time thanks for listening we'll talk to you again in another week after more spring training kind of baseball whatever you want to call it this time of year we'll talk to you then